what really gets my dick hard is Welcome to Metal Up Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. And this week is episode 29, and we are getting to another member of Metallica. This week, we are focusing our energy on the one and only Lars Ulrich. Mm, our beautiful, beautiful, beloved Danish man. Oh, I love, I love that Danish boy. <laughs> I love him. He's probably, probably my favorite Danish person. I'd say he's my favorite Danish person. Yeah. And as of recently, he's my, my, my favorite Danish knight. Yeah. He's been knighted. He was knighted this year, huh? Yeah, like very recently. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Should we refer to him now as Sir Lars? Sir Lars Ulrich. I think so. Sir Lars Ulrich. Is that what Turner? That's what Turner Duckworth. That's what he calls him. Turner Duckworth definitely calls him Sir Lars. Hello, it's Turner Duckworth. Turner Duckworth. Turner Duckworth. (laughs) The next thing we'll be producing is a show called That's So Lars. <laughs> Lifestyles of the Royal and the Famous with your host Turner Duckworth and Sir Lars. <laughs> that would be a good uh Instagram or Twitter account called That's So Lars. That's so Lars. <clears throat> oh my god, that's we'll have a pretty so funny Lars. I have a pretty fun game coming up later in the episode. I just told Ethan about it right before we started recording. We're gonna play a little game called True or False with Lars Ulrich Facts, and that would definitely yeah. fit into a That's So Lars type segment. I agree. Yeah, I'm excited to do this. I think this could be something you can do in the future with uh, different subjects, whether it's members or albums or EPs, whatever. A uh, little, uh, little fun fact trivia portion. Yeah, we're just cooking up some really good sauce for this show. We're 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 consummate professionals. Yeah, keeping it pro. Speaking um, of being professionals, this episode is once again brought to you by our friends at Tone Tubby Speakers. They're a, a speaker company, a cab company. They're doing really cool stuff. They graciously reached out to us because they wanted to sponsor the show. We have Very sponsors. Cool. We love it. They sent us these cabs, and you're going to hear a lot more about those when Ethan gets back in town. We've been we've been cooking up, really have been cooking up some cool stuff for the show. We're going to do some recordings. All of it's going to be through these cabs. So go check out ToneTubby.com if you're a musician. And uh, thank you again to Jonathan and everyone at Tone Tubby. We love the shit out of those people. Yeah, we love them. I can't wait to get home and play mine. I think I said that in the last episode. but uh, And I recently uh, recently acquired uh, the other day in Germany a Duesenberg lap steel, which has been a dream of mine as a as someone who plays lap steel. Um, and I finally got one, and I can't wait to run that thing through one of my amps into that Tone Tubby cab and send a little demo video to those guys. And if you guys don't already, you need to go follow Ethan on Instagram because he posted a video the night he got it, and it's it looks amazing, it sounds amazing, and it's one of ten. Yeah, yeah, I made? ended up. Yeah, they, they, they the main one they make is yellow and black, and uh, I, after I'd ordered it because uh, I had met the guy from Duesenberg last February when he came to a King show uh, to kind of loan the two or some guitars for the band to check out and stuff, and we started talking, and he basically said, "Hey, I'm happy to give you a." 
uh, get you a lap steel if you want. And then a few months later, uh, before production started on it, he hit me up and said, Hey man, uh, we can do a limited edition run of a black one. If you want, we've only made nine others. Uh, yours would be the 10th. And I was like, of course, why not? Yeah. I would love a limited edition one. So yeah, I, I, uh, obviously they're not a sponsor of the show, but we are talking about Dusenberg. So thank you. Thank you very much to the guys at Dusenberg, especially Chris. He, uh, hooked it up and, and, uh, I got rid of some gear I didn't use to buy this thing, and I could not be happier. I have been in the uh, have-to-sell-gear-to-get-gear stage for so long. Oh, yeah. I don't even remember what it's like to have extra money to buy gear. <laughs> I know. It was called being single, I think. I think that was called uh, early 20s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was called Ethan just moved to Nashville and has extra money all the time because uh, he's single and it, his rent is cheap. So, sure, I'll go buy that Gretsch. Well, now, like, with us, like, with the house and the kid and all that stuff... I'm like, what the hell did we do with all that money? I mean, we were like rich <laughs> kids or something. It's like, what the hell? It is crazy to think. I remember my dad told me a long, long time ago, like when I was like 18, he's like, if you just put away like a hundred bucks a month into like a mutual fund account, like by the time you're 40, you will be blown away at how much money is in there. And I'm like a, like a year and a quarter away from 40 and I never did it. <laughs> Well, I seriously don't know where all the money in my 20s went. Like, it's definitely, I mean, I guess we went on some trips. Maybe we uh, ate out a lot, drank. I, I don't know. It's its literally unaccounted for. I, yeah, I, know, you I, know, I, I know. All I know is I no longer have it. Yeah. And it's and it's fine because we're okay now. We're, it's we're, okay. Yeah. Oh, we're yeah. Fine. Things are good. Yeah. Things are good. <laughs> um, uh, I'm, drink, I'm drinking a beer at 1130 in the morning, so things are good. Um, I'm in Dublin, Ireland. It's 530 p.m. and I'm drinking water. <laughs> Only because uh, only because where I'm at at the hotel is right near the venue and there's not really anything around and uh, so I didn't have time to go out and uh, make a little little middle of your podcast cocktail. No passion fruit this week. No oh, boo. Well, I'm, you'll be you'll be drinking from that Guinness teat here real soon. Very shortly. Yeah, yeah. I got some fun plans for the night. So, but let's move on to let's get let's get through this pick contest. We got some other stuff to talk about and then get yep, into all, all right. things Lars Ulrich. Yep, the pick contest is if you leave us a positive review on iTunes, we will send you some free stuff, usually guitar picks, three metal up your podcast picks, a pick of my face, a pick of Ethan's face. It's that easy. If you hear your name called, you send us an email, metalupyourpodcastshow at gmail.com with your name and address. In the subject, write pick contest so we know what it's about. And we'll send you that shit for motherfucking free. Here are our winners this week. Curry B70, Chinese Boy 4321, M Curse, which Curse is one of our patrons. Uh, nice. Boston Dogs fan, Jay Carney, the Reno rocker, Ass Balls, which I'm convinced <laughs> this person created that just to hear me say Ass Balls on the show. And it to, worked. Touche, sir. Sword in Stone and DJ Chemist. You are nice. our weekly pick contest winners. Congrats, everybody. Congrats. Send us an email. Uh, we're at about 85 or 86 reviews. Once we get to 100, we're going to end the contest, and you'll never hear us talk about it again. So yeah, we're close. Leave us the review. It's real easy. We're real close, and we're really grateful and appreciative of all of you who have done it, and that's of that. Of course. Yes. And then, once again, our uh, social media accounts, you can always follow us on Twitter, Metal Up Your Cast, Facebook.com slash Metal Up Your Podcast, Instagram is Metal Up Your Podcast, and of course, you can always email us. The best way to get a hold of us, metalupyourpodcastshow at gmail.com. And uh, if you want to support the show financially, uh, go to patreon.com slash metalupyourpodcast. And speaking of that, this week we have a new patron. Jason Edwards has supported the show. Thank you, Jason. Thank you so much, Jason. Yeah, it means a lot. So like we always mention, uh, those picks, the patches we have, the stuff we're going to have at the Detroit Metallica show, you know, it, all that, that money helps to go uh, towards that stuff, and we're still paying out of pocket, but whatever, we have 
the love for this show and all things Metallica. So it's worth it. Oh yeah, a hundred percent of what we get from Patreon has gone back into the show. So yeah, uh, and Ethan and I, are, we've been talking about like special things to do for our patrons. We have around fourteen now, and uh, we're talking about maybe doing like a a every two months doing a Facebook Live kind of meetup chat thing for a couple of hours with you guys. Like maybe after we've recorded an episode, we'll do a Facebook yeah. Live thing and. It'll be me and Ethan on video and the chatting with you guys, and we'll pl- play songs and d- do characters, and it'll just be a fun place for us <laughs> and all our patrons to hang. Maybe it, maybe a, a Torben and Dave puppet show. A Torben and Dave puppet show. Paul Paul show up. Uh, Turner Duckworth might be there. They'll all be there. So yeah, Becky. <laughs> Becky the bitch will be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Becky from the Valley. <laughs> oh my God, Turner Duckworth. <laughs> yeah, he sounds old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, so thanks to all the patrons, we got some. We're we're cooking up special shit all across the board for the show. So thanks Indeed. for sticking in there with us. We, we're really grateful for all of you. Yeah. And now we're going to move on. We read ten emails a show. We get more than ten, but we sort of try to narrow it down. If you want to write in and hear your shit right on the show, yeah, send us that email at metaluppyourpodcastshow at gmail dot com. Are you going to start us off? I'm going to start us off. Yeah, our first email is from Eric Dalliger or Dalliger. Hello, Dave Torben and Clinton Ethan. Hello. Hello. <laughs> By the way, I love your casual. Hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, Eric says, shows absolutely motherfucking lutely awesome. And that's official. I hope you dudes don't delete any of the shows as I'm sh- uh, sure to go back and start all over once I've caught up to the new episodes. Although it's nearly July, I'm currently on, on episode 15-ish. I searched Metallica on the podcast app, randomly found you dudes. I can't wait to catch up, but then I'll be pissed and I can't binge new shows like I have in the past week. Just felt like I had to let y'all know I'm listening and enjoying every second. One suggestion though, maybe you should have uh, Dave and Torben do a full episode. Uh, it just may be the funniest shit I will ever hear. Uh, P.S. I want, uh, want an episode dedicated uh, to recording methods. I write and record and love hearing anything and everything on the subject, especially when it has to do with my boys Metallica. Keep them coming. Cool. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that may uh, kind of be a follow-up episode to maybe a gear episode, maybe talk about production. Um, and also, uh, speaking of that, there is uh, the... Uh, uh, a certain someone who mixed a certain Metallica record that we found out lives in Nashville and we'll let you know about that once he is uh, contacted because we would love to have him on the show and that would be yeah. a great one to talk about recording obviously yeah and we you know we've been encouraged by emails like that because Ethan and I our musicians our recording artists our songwriters we love talking micro we love talking all that stuff we just never imagined that fans of the show would want to as well so right now that we're sort of learning that that's on the table you guys can definitely expect some of that coming up for sure. Definitely, definitely. Thanks for the email, dude. Jason Barry writes, "Hey, dudes. Uh, oh, this is the dude who wrote about the sword falling out of his ass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he says, "Hey, dudes. The intention behind my laughed so hard the sword fell out of my ass comment came to fruition in that it made you laugh and turned into another pure gold off-topic riff session, which culminated in another of my favorite lines thus far, Torben's." If you wipe your ass hard enough, you get wiser comment. So good. <laughs> anyway, I plan on sending a pic of my Metal Up Your Podcast swag patch and pic soon. Keep up the good work. P.S. Did you follow up on the Half Speed Drunk podcast listing? Now, I, the I other night, I did. I, I've i never done that, never thought to do it. But our friend uh, Melody and NJ, Melody NJ, and Jason have recommended doing that because they said <laughs> it was funny. And I went and listened to the Church Giggles portion of the Jason Newstead episode. Oh, no. And I was in my studio 
at night, my baby's asleep, my wife's asleep. <laughs> and dude, I was laughing so hard. Oh man, I've got to do that. It's pretty funny. I mean, obviously it takes a long time to get through because it's slower, but... Yeah, definitely. But I I mean, it's similar to, have you ever seen, uh, there, there's these old Apple commercials, probably from the early 2000s that um, Jeff Goldblum did. And he already kind of has a slow kind of uh, speech. And somebody had put on YouTube um, that those same Apple commercials slow down even more. And he just sounds hammered doing an Apple commercial. It's amazing. <laughs> we, do, we do sound like... Right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the we laughing like, is really funny. We sound like the the, the end of Inters- end of uh, Master of Puppets. Master Puppets. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Well, it's funny too because you and I kind of talk fast, so it, it it's a trip. I would encourage any of you to check it out. My my selected portion to do that with was the uh, Jason Newstead episode. Um, yeah. That's and Jason awesome. says he's going to send us pics of, uh, we sent him a patch and and the guitar pics. If you guys send us pictures of whatever it is we send you, we post it on all of our socials. So be sure and do yeah. that if you get a minute. Definitely do that, please. Thanks, yeah, Jason. Thanks for, yeah, thank you, Jason, for the email. Uh, next one is from Joe B. Um, hey, guys, awesome SNM episode. I don't usually put together fantasy set lists for myself. Um, and wore a big hurdy-gurdy grin while listening to it. Um, I like that you extended it beyond just a list into an all-encompassing experience, Clint, uh, parentheses, Clint describing when the crowd would go wild, Ethan saying which guitar James would switch to, and what Michael Kamen would do with the orchestral arrangements. P.S. I love uh, the letter, uh, letters from Samim. May he continue writing in so we can all keep hearing it. From Joe. I, it's J-O-H. I assume that's either Joe. Uh, yeah, this is our, this is our buddy, Johanna. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, she does not like to be called that, though, which is why I put the soft J on there. Yeah, okay. And and by the way, Joe is also a patron of the show. So Yeah, thank you, Joe. Uh, the Letters from Samim jingle was a big hit. We were going to find out from these emails. I'm really glad that landed. It was. Oh, yeah. And as far as you getting to hear it again, I tell you what, that's all up to our friend Samim. Exactly. If you want to hear the, that jam again that Clint uh, so graciously recorded while I'm out of town, it's all up to you, Samim. <laughs> it's all it's, it's all within Samim's hands. I think we yeah. can say that. No uh, pressure. Thanks, Joe. We very, very much appreciate you. Uh, Chris, what if Nace, uh, <laughs> real yeah. quick? What if what if Samim wrote us ten emails and we just read all of his? And, <laughs> just, so, so technically, yeah, just, the, they would get played twenty times. <laughs> I guess we would be obligated to uh, to do that. Yeah. Like, well, we had a whole episode. We had James Hetfield on the show. We were going to interview him, but we have 10 letters from Samim, so that's all really the show is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but Samim is smart enough to know, uh, by the way, don't do that, Samim. <laughs> <laughs> See, here's the deal. Part of part of what's really special about Samim's letters is that they are sort of like a little bit bottlenecked. He sort of has a lot to say, you know? And yeah. uh, it's going to keep that whole segment real special. We can't we can't overdo it. We got to keep the exactly. kids wanting, wanting some shit. Exactly. Okay, Chris Nace writes, can you guys address either of these on an episode soon? Okay, now this first one is pertinent for Mr. Ethan Luck here. He says, number one, Hulk Hogan recently said again that he tried to send Metallica bass audition tapes after Cliff died. James also saw a photo recently with Hulk in place of Jason in a Justice Era photo and denied Hulk's claims. Very interesting lies from Hogan on the subject. What if Hulk played bass? What would Metallica become? Now, well, brother, Ethan, let me tell you about it. 
Ethan has spent a lot of time listening to Hulk Hogan's seminal debut hip hop rock potpourri record. What was it called again? Uh, it's uh, it's Hulk Hogan and the Wrestling Boot Band, and the album is no. I think, wait for it. The album is called Hulk Rules. <laughs> There's also a title track. And no joke, the other day I was I was in the Berlin airport waiting in line to check in and Nate, our drum tech, and I were talking about it and pulled it up online and we were sitting there in the line waiting to check in listening to these songs. Oh my <laughs> it's God. It's so bad. So let me ask you this. So good. Is Hulk rules? Let me ask you what the slant is on that. Are they like rules that Hulk Hogan has come up with of like the rules to living the Hulk life? Or is no. it Hulk Hogan rules like Hulk Hogan's the best? He's he just rules like he's the best. Yeah, he's the best. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's one song called "I Want to Be a Hulkamaniac," and I'm pretty sure it goes, "I want to be a Hulkamaniac," and something like, uh, "Hang out with my family and friends." It's Jesus. Just, it sounds like a it sounds like a song on one of my kids' cartoons. It's it's very close. Very very close. Like you think a Hulkamaniac would be like a shirt ripping Hulkamaniac? Yeah, Instead, brother. it sounds like fucking Barney. I want to hold my friend's hands it, it and really blow is. kisses it really is. to the president. Blow <laughs> <laughs> kisses to the president. He would like I don't that know. too much. It felt like a nice little net. I, w- I would hate that. <laughs> I have to. I have to show my daughter the TV sometimes, and I have to say, "Baby, that's that's the fucking president of the United States." <laughs> and I can't believe it. Okay, he says number two. I don't believe you guys have ever referenced the Ja Rule track, which is mostly composed of riffs Metallica sent him around the I Disappear era. Please cover this as a ridiculous throwback episode. It is St. Ager level bad. I've never heard it. It, it is. It's, yeah, I, well, I, I haven't heard it in a long time, but it's bad. Yeah. Okay. So if, maybe, if anyone maybe listening we'll hasn't a, heard it, get, get online. I'm sure you find it on YouTube or anywhere on well, the Well, Chris sent us links to it. I, just, I, I neglected to click it. So maybe we'll do a revisited episode on that. Yeah, that'll be a really short revisited, I think. Hey, but so Chris, we have some episodes somewhere where we talk about this Hulk Hogan shit. I, I don't. I, I, do you know which episode that might have been? Mm, I don't Was remember. Was this off the, the top puppets episode? Maybe. Oh, you know, it, you know, it might have been the Jason Newsett episode talking about him getting in the band. Oh, okay. All right, go check out that. Uh, that Newsett episode is is pretty golden. All yeah, around, I, think I think so. That, that, yeah, it's, it's it's in our best of for sure. Uh, thanks, Chris. All right, next email is from Danny Derryberry. That's a cool last name. Sounds Danny, like Danny Derryberry. Actually, sounds kind of Irish to me. Um, uh, Danny says, love the show. Get to nerd out every week on Material. Met- he spells material with a capital M-E-T, uh, which is my, one, of, one of my favorite topics there is. Going back to your knowledge of Dream Theater, they have been known to play albums uh, that inspire them in the beginning to the end. Um, and their rendition of Master Puppets is note for note the way uh, it is recording recorded originally, and definitely worth checking out. Keep defending the faith. I don't um, know. If, do do we want to hear Dream Theater play Master Puppets note for note? I don't think I want to hear that. I mean, I'll, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll put my foot in the water. Well, I mean, I want to hear them put Dream Theater shine on it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's something that I'm sure it's like, oh, that's cool. They played Master Puppets as it is, but it's not something that it's going to make me this big Dream Theater fan, I don't think, you know? Well, it's just, it's just if they played it note for note, it's just going to sound exactly like Puppets, except with, like, musical geniuses playing it, and I don't think I'm... <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm not shitting on Dream Theater. Like, our the dude who wrote in last week, Thelmo, listens to the show. He runs a Dream right. Theater podcast. Like, much love and respect and all that, but... 
I don't, I don't, if they were like, hey, Dream Theater did a version of Puppets, it's all progged out, Dream Theater keyboard shit, I would be more interested. Right, yeah. I might check it out. Because doesn't, this... doesn't Dream Theater have a bunch of keyboards and shit? I think so. I don't know. It's just, I, I, we talked about it before, it's not, really, it's not really my cup of tea. I, I, I appreciate the musicianship, and they're all, I mean, insanely talented, but... It's not a band that I like. I, I really care to listen to. I mean, stuff I've heard is impressive, but you know, it doesn't like, go I've beyond heard, that for me. I've heard Fish, which is another band I definitely do not like, but I've they covered Dark Side of the Moon in its entirety. I think they did the White Album too, and it's oh, wow. really interesting to listen to because it's it's they honor the source material for sure. They're Beatles freaks, but yeah, it, it's not like note for note perfect. It's got the their kind of jammy bullshit thing, and it's interesting. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> All right, Danny Derryberry, thank you for the suggestion. I'll ch- I would listen to one song. All right, if you had to, if you were listening to one song from Puppets, hearing Dream Theater style, what would you listen to? Um, What's the one would, you kind of most want to hear what they do with? Um, I would say Disposable Heroes. I was going to say the same exact motherfucking yeah. thing. I swear. Oh, that's so cute of Isn't us. Isn't that neat? Wow. Our, our longtime supporter, and I think another patron, Nick Roller writes... Oh my fucking God, the letters from Samim Jingle. It absolutely rules. Congrats to my brother in Istanbul on the claim to fame. There you go, Samim. He says, P.S., remember that this reads like a uh, disclaimer, like in a commercial. He says, P.S., remember that a merger of property destroys all easements. Assault is an apprehension of a battery, and computer tennis injuries should always be kept between you and your physician. Thanks, Nick. (laughs) Thank you, Nick. We have some funny... (laughs) Funny ass fans, dude. We do, we do. Good comedic Thanks, gold Nick. out there, guys. Thank you, Nick. Uh, next email is from Sarah Sobek. Hey guys, I can't remember how it was phrased on the podcast, but even the drum portion of Metallica's live show as a misstep or took away from the song. As a Metallica fan, doesn't it just make you feel good to see them up there looking like they're having a blast and just being real? Uh, sure. Um, after all, they uh, they've been through. Uh, after all, they've been through as a, a band slash family. Uh, going from the deepest, darkest points in their lives to that moment on stage is seeing uh, just pure joy in their faces as they beat the crap out of those drums together. Um, how can I not give you a warm, fuzzy feeling and make you proud of them? Um, but on the not-so-deep side, it's freaking Metallica. I would be happy to just stand and, stand and stare, even if every instrument made no sound and James could only hum. <laughs> uh, I, all I have to say is, you know, I think if anyone's seen this current tour, and even in the last couple of years, uh, no matter what they do on stage, they look like they're filled with joy and having a great time. And oh, absolutely. Good, good spot personally. And, um, so d- big obnoxious drums or not, I think you're going to see that no matter what. Um, but anyway, she goes on to say, uh, love listening to you guys and always look forward to your show. It opens my mind and gives me a new, uh, refreshing perspective. Hoping to see you guys in Detroit in a couple weeks. That's in New Jersey, right? Is what she said. Uh, correct. It is. <laughs> It is, yeah. We'll see you in Detroit, New Jersey. Uh, Sarah, thanks for thanks for the email. That's awesome. And yeah, when it um, gets closer, which it's very close, we're uh, we're once this episode is is out, it'll be less than two weeks away. Yeah, um, we'll definitely make sure you follow us on social media because we're going to be posting about the details of that, where we're going to end up, um, we're going we're going to be hanging out, and we would love to meet up with as many of you as possible who are going to the Detroit show. Yep, I'm reaching out to a couple of TJ Mower, who's a fan of the show on the forums who I believe is from Detroit, gave me three or four suggestions for low... He said there's not really a parking lot vibe there in that at that stadium. I guess it's yeah. Tiger Stadium. But he said that there is some very like happening kind of like bars that might host the show. So I'm reaching out to them, working awesome. with that. Once we figure out what we're doing, we'll uh, we'll get the word out. And you yeah. know, like her, I get what she's saying. She's saying like, look, it's Metallica. They're having a good time. Isn't that enough? And you know, it is. 
It totally is. It is, yeah. Like, no big deal. It was a four-minute segment. I don't think it quite worked. Our friend Darth Leviosa was a bit more scathing, but, you know, I'm just happy to see those dudes. And yeah, look, seeing them have a good time is just, especially when you're so invested, you don't know them personally, but you know their story. Like, yeah. anything, when if you see Kirk Hammett look over at James Hetfield and they're smiling at each other, that makes me happy. Oh, yeah. That's a, it's a great day in Metallica world if that's happening. So I'm with Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. We'll see you in Detroit <clears throat> for sure. Heck yeah. Wayne Miller writes, Hi, Clint and Ethan. Greetings from the UK, New Jersey, which that's his emphasis, not mine. Uh, <laughs> been listening for the last few weeks, and I'm loving the show. Particular favorite was the Jason Newstead episode, as Justice was my first entry into the Metallica family, and I feel that Jason's presence is missing from the band. I'm interested to hear that Jason's working on something with the guys, and with the next year being the 30th anniversary of Justice, I'm hoping... For the remixed reissue that we've all been waiting for, I'll certainly be all over that. Maybe that's what Jason was talking about last year. Maybe. I mean, on he, Eddie I mean, Trunk's show. Yeah, he talked. Yeah, if you haven't listened to the Eddie Trunk episode with Jason Newstead, he, he goes on about it a bit. <clears throat> and he kind of, you know, talks about they've been in contact talking about working together on something. We don't know what it is. So, I mean,. I don't know. They've been a little vocal about, you know, kind of letting letting be what what has been recorded in the past, but I mean, I think God, I think I think people would freak out if there was a remix of Justice and if Jason was involved in that, uh, you know, and I'd love maybe, it. M- maybe they'll do an anniversary show or something, I don't know, but uh, we all miss Jason of course, but much respect to Rob as well. For sure. Well, I mean, here's the deal, like remaster the original Justice the way it is, fine. Like that's what it is. It's the sound of Justice. But if you're doing this big deluxe thing, go ahead and remix it too just for for those of us who want to hear that. It's not taking yeah. away anything. It's not taking anything away from the original. And st- you know, and and you know, it'd be a good way for people to, you know, finally stop going to YouTube and listening to Injustice for Jason cuz Yeah, it'd be not, official. Not all that sounds that great and no. and uh, you know, the bass is almost too loud and stuff like that. I'd it, I'd like true. to hear a proper mix. It's true. It would it would like truly lay it to rest. Because then you would have an official release of it yeah. with Jason's actual parts. Because, you know, we have we heard Jason on Garage Days. We heard Jason all throughout Load and Reload and Black Album. He sounds fucking great in Metallica. Of and course, obviously, yeah. obviously live, they had him cranked. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, Wayne goes on to say, anyway, thanks for a great show. As one of the most bootleg... Oh, okay. As one of the most bootlegged bands of all time, you should do an episode on the bootlegging community for Metallica. The Black Album Tour included a taper section for bootleggers wishing to record the shows. I personally have a great collection of DVDs, and some of the shows are nothing short of incredible. Cheers, guys. Keep up the good work. Wayne, I don't That's know awesome. much about the bootleg community of Metallica fans. I've never really dug into it because I've never been much of a bootleg kind of guy. I mean, it, it, you know, as a as a fan of music, I think it's really cool that people do that and bands have allowed fans to come to shows and record that stuff. You know, obviously it got huge and really started for the Grateful Dead, but <clears throat> excuse me. Um, uh, but I've never really dove into that kind of stuff. I've ha- I have heard some stuff online uh, on different cassettes over the years that friends have had, and like stuff sounds cool, but it's still just a, some kind of recorder in the middle of a crowd. It doesn't sound amazing. No, um, I, I but, prefer the I prefer the touched up live, like of official course, yeah. live releases. But you know, I mean, much respect to those people that are into that stuff. I mean, that's that's a, that's true dedication uh, to a band. You know, it's a lot of like the jam bands have that kind of community, so it's cool that that is spilled over into metal too. What I would be more interested in, we have a fan who's on the forums, I think I think it's, his name is Kay Bell, or her name, and they've written to us before, where it's less bootlegs and more like just collection shit. Like they have yeah. all like all those versions of Kill 'Em All and, you know, right. a copy from every country, and that maybe we could like sort of blend those two to make an interesting hour-long combo. Yeah, maybe so. 
Uh, thanks and, for the suggestion, and, Wayne. Yeah, and if anyone listening is a is a bootlegger um, in that in that community for Metallica, write into us, let us know, and maybe uh, you know you can kind of help us uh, form this episode that we could possibly yeah, do one day. Th- that would be that would be a, a scenario where someone who's way into that shit, and maybe it's Wayne, who knows who it is, can write in and maybe help us kind of curate what an hour long conversation would look like in that. That would be awesome. Yeah, because Ethan and I don't really do it personally. So, yeah. All right. Thanks, Wayne. Yeah, and our last last email, email. last email of the week comes from Mike Talica seven one one. By the way, I'm I'm always jealous when somebody uh, has a name that they can add Talica to that sounds cool. Like Mike Talica sounds cool. Methan Meath Talica Methan Talica Methan Ethan Eth Talica. Yeah, it doesn't really work. Yeah, it doesn't work. Um, Anyways, uh, he says. I just recently discovered Mel Up Your Podcast, so catching up on the past episodes has been great for my morning commute. A lot of people commute to our podcast. That's great. Um, So I listened to the Load episode today, and I remembered reading an interview with Lars before the record came out. He said that he was uh, hanging with the guys from Alice in Chains and jammed a little bit on Sean Kinney's kit, and that was when he made the decision to go with a smaller kit because it was more comfortable uh, for him. It definitely... uh, it's definitely noticeable that uh, he changed gear between the uh, black and load. Uh, the drums sound a, a less robust, but not in a bad way, if that makes any sense. Keep up the good work, and thanks for making the drive to work more interesting for a change. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, a lot of that probably also has to do with production, the the, the changing of the, the, the kit sound for Lars. Because he's still, you know, he's been endorsed by Tama forever. I mean, this is a good segue into into the, the Lars portion of the show, but... um. Yeah, he's been playing Tama for, I mean, God knows how long now. But, um, you know, I mean, that whole load era, they went for a different production sound. They went for a different sound in, in their writing and, and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, but I but I, I did kind of like that era where he, like, stripped it down and had, like, one kick drum on certain performances. But I think still live, he came out there with two kick drums, but less toms, yeah. all that stuff. Well, because they were still playing the old stuff live. But it, and right. as, far as, as far as on record, uh, Black Album through uh, Reload is in my opinion the peak of Lars's drum sounds i think it's when yeah. he was playing the most interesting stuff i mean as a musician especially if you're in a, like a rock band yeah. it is sometimes way harder to play a slow groove tune than a straight up blast beat thing oh yeah Cause, totally cuz the sort of blast beat black end dire's eve fight fire with fire battery is almost like a muscle memory you're just reacting so fast yeah it is really hard to slow down and play behind a beat instead of on top of it um i'm i'm pushing up my fictitious glasses right now to correct Um, you excuse me as a drummer as a drummer i have to tell you that a blast beat isn't technically what he plays on dyer's eve (laughs) oh christ really i don't know i just call it a punk rock beat oh okay or whatever it's speed like a speed metal beat but i mean yeah uh, whatever really fast drums yeah really fast really fast drumming which, believe me, I can't do that. That shit's crazy, too. Like, props yeah. and love and respect to all of it. I'm just saying, it's hard to play in a pocket and play slow. Like, it, Yeah, it's tough. Their slow, groovy stuff, people really underestimate how tough it is to really do that well. And oh, not yeah, be exactly. boring or sludgy. It's like pocketing. Yeah. Or even swaggery. like on like, like two by four. I mean, there's a lot of groove and pocket in that one because it's swung totally. as well. Um, and and the and you know the production. Sorry, I'm cracking open this beer. The production too really sells it. I mean, I love Fleming's work with the band. It's he, he made Master of Puppets, the most iconic record probably of their whole career. But right. that Bob Rock flavor on the drums is just one of my favorite things about those records. I know, I know. The, 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 the Bob Rock definitely has a signature sound he he put on on all their instruments, but especially Lars's Lars's drums and. Uh, 
they just yeah they, they're just they're they're heavy they have a lot of attack they're, there's they're they're crispy sounding if that makes sense and i but think like, his i think his parts are cool yeah i agree and, and we're going to get into <clears throat> sort of the you know really the criticism he's had his entire career is he good or not is he a hack mm. is he bullshitty we're going to get into that uh i i you, it's going to be no surprise where i fall on that ethan's the same way yeah um but first, we're going to sort of do our our facts portion. Maybe we need a little jingle for the facts portion. I think we I think we might. I want to give a shout out to a listener who wrote in a long time ago. Actually, one of one of our early days listener named Jonas Helgren, who said to us, "If you ever do a Lars episode," uh, he pointed me towards a book that was published by a a Copenhagen author named Jim's Jam Rasmussen. I guess everyone over there's last name is Rasmussen. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, it's a book called Spoiled with Freedom, and it's only available in Danish. But he sent me, someone had translated the first six chapters. That's and so, so cool. A lot of this fact stuff, which these are facts about Lars I've never heard. This is like way above and beyond a Wikipedia, Wikipedia page. Oh, so great. we'll sort of talk through some of these facts, and then we'll kind of talk about you know, Lars's legacy, his work on all the records, his evolution, and then we're going to have that true or false game at the end. So Awesome. Here are the, the facts. Some of you may find these boring. I don't know. I don't even think I care. But here they are. <laughs> he was born December 26, 1963. He's 53 years old. He was born in Gentofte, Gen- Denmark. How do you say uh, that, Torben? I think it's pronounced Gentofte. Uh, <laughs> He's the son of Lone and Torben Ulrich, pro tennis player. His grandfather, Einar Ulrich, was also a tennis player. So Rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> did you say rust in peace? Rust in I did. peace. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Two worlds colliding. <laughs> Something I learned about Torben today from this book <clears throat> that I didn't know that totally explains a lot about him is that he, in addition to being a pro tennis player, he also studied Indian philosophy, yoga, and he's a huge music lover. And he was often referred to in those days as the hippie tennis player. Yeah, I mean, it. it, 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 it it's not surprising that, that he went into Indian, Indian philosophy because he has that kind of zen about him. He's super calm all the time and very wise. And the question <clears> is, <throat> did did he did he go into Indian philosophy because he had a beard, or did he grow the beard because he went into Indian philosophy? It's a bit uh, of a chicken or an egg situation. There's a lot of old here. old photos of Torben you can find, and he's kind of had a beard for a long time. Now it wasn't that long. But uh, yeah, that, it's a it's a strong beard, man. It's ZZ Top quality right there. The more you dive in to Lars Ulrich, <clears throat> the more you really see that a, so much of who he is is a product of his relationship with his father. Oh, very much so. Yeah, good, bad, all that. There's this great story in the book about how uh, Torben would stay up all night with Lars, listening to jazz, and the next day. He would let Lars sleep in, and he would send Lars late to school <clears throat> with a note that said, Hey, sorry Lars is late today. We stayed up all night listening to jazz, and I thought it was important that he sleep in. <laughs> what, a, what a cool dad. <laughs> it's just, A, that's amazing. B, it's strange, especially to Americans. I mean, like, you right. know, D- Denmark is generally a, a more liberal, easygoing country, uh, they're not as rigid as we are in the states, and you know, generally right. their education and happiness levels are a bit higher than ours. So, yeah, there's something to be said about that—that that kind of laxness. Well, I love too that, like, you know, I mean, like my 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 dad definitely like, you know, helped me immerse myself in music and like 
taught me about different bands and uh, different styles of music and stuff like that. And I'll forever be grateful for it, you know, and it's just cool to, to, I mean, this is, you know, well before I was born that, that someone all the way in Denmark is doing this with their kid, listening to jazz into the night. So, so much so that they're late to school. Um, it, it, you know, I'm sure he wanted him to pursue tennis as well, but, <clears throat> but it's just cool that he was just pushing him and pushing him like, let's listen to this and get you, you get your mind educated on different things, you know? Well, it's refreshing to see that, that Torben's idea of an education was, went beyond you know, the eight hours you spend in a schoolroom. Exactly. Yeah. That's, I think it's amazing because Lars talks about how like, you know, his parents always had other tennis players and other artists and writers that would come to the house for dinner and they'd all stay up. So he just sort of had this, you know, this sort of like cosmopolitan community, even as a kid, it's all he's ever known. Yeah. And I, I think you, you can definitely see that in him now, his love for art, his, his drive, his sort of like ham stuff, his sort of yeah. fearlessness, all that shit. I think it's great. Um, reading about him and Torben growing up made me like Torben even more than I already did. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, let's see. So here's where we start getting the sort of the spark for music. At nine years old, Torben took him to see Deep Purple on the Fireball tour in 73 in Copenhagen. And Lars has since said that that performance would kind of set in motion his desire to play music. That's so he, cool. Uh, he had a record store that he liked a lot called Bristol Music Center. And there was a 23-year-old dude who worked at the counter. We all know those dudes in the record stores, right? Like the Oh, yeah. Sort of unapproachably cool, all-knowing guy. He had one named, uh, what was this dude's name? They called him Heavy Metal Ken, Ken Anthony, <laughs> who he sort of looked up to and played him. The biggest thing that he would play for Lars was the new wave of British heavy metal stuff, Black Sabbath and Judas Priest and Diamond Head and all that. And Lars was so into it that he would like go to this dude's apartment. Like when the dude would get off work, his Torben would drive him to this dude's apartment and he would hang out and just listen to music all day. God, with so this cool. guy. And <laughs> they say he said he like called every week saying, Is there anything new? Any new records out? Like he was just so hungry to consume music. Yeah, I mean and, and that had to have been a really cool uh experience for Lars growing up and, and it's at such a young age. Uh, listening to jazz records with his dad late into the night, and then all of a sudden, like being immersed in the new wave of British heavy metal from heavy metal Ken Anthony, um, his his I mean his brain was probably exploding anytime he got turned on to a new record. And I I I see myself in that. Like I remember being that age and just being so hungry, just consuming it all. Oh yeah, of course. I I don't think I would have ever have had the courage to call the dude at the record store. And I, I also was... don't think my dad would let, would drive me to this man's apartment. Oh no, for sure. <laughs> I mean, my parents also surrounded me with music, or all, they always sort of engendered my love for music. Yeah. They weren't letting me not go to school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or a stranger's house. But mom, I want to stay up and listen to Metallica all night. Uh, no, no. Uh, no, you're not that's not that. happening. <clears throat> uh, but I love hearing the stories about this record store. Uh, like, he kept in touch with that dude, uh, even when he moved to the States. I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but like, they kept up correspondence. He ended up sending him, like, the No Life to Leather demo, all that stuff. That's great, man. Um, so, uh, at age 14 is when he got his first drum kit, a Ludwig kit that his grandmother got him. So, even as, as cool as old Torb was on the jazz, late night jazz sessions, he still had to go to old grandma to get that drum kit. Man, that's so cool. I mean, I wonder how that, I mean, she was probably super old school, but I mean, if she was, I mean, if the, maybe the whole family, even Torben's parents and stuff like that, and Lone's parents were all about music and stuff like that. To, so to see their grandson getting excited about it, whether it was the kind of music they liked or not, uh, they wanted to support him in that and get him a drum kit. Well, and all I got to say is 
is hats off and God bless or whatever you want to say to people like your dad, Lars's grandmother, my parents, who helped us kind of find our way, you know, like whether it was my dad sort of turning me on to Pink Floyd or my mom, whatever, showing me, making me a mixtape of ZZ Top and Bond, yeah, whatever, yeah, it, whatever sure. it is like, man, I, I think about that a lot going into this stuff with my kid. Like, how am I going to help, whatever it is, whether it's music or whatever, how am I going to help her do whatever it is the way my parents did? Yeah, you you stay up late listening to jazz records because that's well, that's because that's the story of how this shit happens, right? I know it totally does. Um, he moved to California in the summer of 1980 for tennis lessons, but he says when he gets to the states, he realized he wasn't very he wasn't as good as he thought he was because <laughs> I think he was a bit of a star in Denmark because of his dad, and plus I think the pool of competition was a little smaller. Sure, sure. And then apparently he gets to the states and was like, well. I'm 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 okay, but I'm not good enough to really do this professionally. Which yeah. I think is pretty astute. Like, it wasn't so much that he was lazy or bored or acting like petulant. It's that yeah. he sort of realized he wasn't going to really be able to do what his parents had hoped he would in tennis. So it was time to time to look elsewhere. Which I think is pretty astute of him. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, when he realized he wanted, to, so when they moved to California, he couldn't take his drum kit. He left his drum kit in Copenhagen. So they rented a kit. They lived in a much smaller place in California, and so he talks about how he set up his kit, rental kit in the guest room and put mattresses over the doors and windows as sort of like a makeshift like sound room. And if, if I mean, I'm sure it was like this back in the early 80s too, but if anyone from California knows, <coughs> excuse me, people like their silence and they like to be left alone. And if you are making noise, especially if you're listening to heavy metal and you're a metal drummer... The cops will come on, come knock on your door all the time. It right. sucks when you're in a, in a band, and you're you're practicing and rehearsing, and get shut down all the time. It's like the complete opposite in Nashville. But uh, so, <laughs> props. I mean, props to Lars for you know putting in putting in the time and the hours and getting those mattresses against the windows. In Nashville, you go to jail for not playing a musical instrument. Exactly. Yeah. Excuse me. What do you play? Oh, nothing. Get out. Yeah. You you have to move away now. This is Music City, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, it was kind of around this time that he, so Lars was like heavy on the new uh, wave of British heavy metal. He's keeping up with heavy metal kin. He's, you know, Lars is kind of an aficionado of a lot of things. I think that's just his personality. Oh, yeah. I think he has an obsessive personality. I, I'm similar. I mean, when I got into Led Zeppelin, it was nothing but Led Zeppelin for 10 months. When I got into yeah. the Beatles, it was nothing but the Beatles for like six years. Yeah, when I got into Metallica, it was nothing but Metallica for almost 30 years. Yeah, and I, I'm continuing that. <laughs> Dude, I listened to Metallica on shuffle literally all fucking morning. I know. Um, So, but around this time, there weren't a lot of people hip to that shit. So he was at, uh, what did he go see? Oh, he went to a Michael Schenker concert, the dude from from UFO, who is one of Kirk Hammett's main influences. Yeah. And because of the, the way he looked and he was wearing like a Venom shirt or something, he caught the eye of some other dudes who ended up being, uh, one of them was Brian Slagle. Yeah, very who cool. Who was the dude who went on to found Metal Blade Records and yep. uh, the Metal Massacre compilation. So you're just sort of seeing retroactively these dots connecting. Yeah. In the Lars Ulrich story. Like, I don't know if, if I would be angry or excited, but I would. I feel like I would love to see like a really well done biopic about like the early days of Metallica, like where the movie basically ends when they're about to go in the studio to record Kill Em All or something. Oh, well, I you, wouldn't want the story to end there. I, I, but here, oh, here's, I see what you're saying. You're saying that to really do that, 
era justice, it would have to be a full 90 minute film. I feel like there's be so much happening. Like you would, you would, you would go to each each character and get their whole backstory. All these things we talk about who with would, different who would play, members. Who, okay, would Giovanni Ribisi play Lars Ulrich? <laughs> Giovanni Ribisi. Yeah. Um. Gosh, who would play Lars Ulrich? Oh no, um, who's the dude? Who's the dude who played uh, P- Professor Xavier in the new like X Men First Class? Oh, the kids. I I, mean, I didn't watch those. Oh, eh, they're not great. But that dude who plays as Xavier looks like Lars Ulrich a little bit. Okay. And maybe Michael Fassbender could play James Hetfield, win a goddamn totally. Oscar. Uh, Taylor York from Paramore could play Kirk. <laughs> oh, because they live. <laughs> what do they do? They're Kirk Cam at Tuesdays or something? Something like that. I think Paramore has been posting on Instagram just old pictures of Kirk Hammett because he looks like. Taylor looks like him. Oh, does he like, look like he Kirk? Look, like young Kirk, yeah. It's pretty crazy. Um, and I think it's hilarious. I, I've known them for years, and so it just makes me laugh every time I see those photos. But. Taylor, you can play Kirk. I mean, if I had my dream world, A, I would be in Metallica. B, there would be a, f- a fully full-featured Martin Scorsese-directed film about every era of the band. Yeah, that would be rad. Just a massive 15... 15- <clears throat> 15 film epic narrative yeah because i do enjoy i do enjoy biopics if they're done really well yeah um you know some some of them can be kind of crappy did you see the miles davis one with um oh what's that with the dude from hotel rwanda he's awesome uh i'm blanking uh, on his name right now god damn it what's his name no, I, well, anyway i didn't see that it's great i watched it on a, on a flight one time and it was <laughs> awesome um uh you know, I, I think there there was a the Runaways movie I thought was okay. Um, the Doors, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. The Doors one was Val cool. Kilmer, The Doors. Yeah. Um, even I mean, Walk the Line was great. Yeah, it was, I, I love uh, I love Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, he's great. He's great in that one. Um, but all, all that to say, I think I, I'm, I'd be curious if if one day there was a Metallica biopic. Because it's interesting to think about, you know, Lars just happens to go to this UFO show, Michael Schenker show, and then Brian Slagle happens to like see a young weird looking Danish kid with long hair wearing a venom shirt and they introduce themselves. They yeah. became buds. They're like listening to metal records together. They're seeking it out together. Um, <clears throat> it was also around this time that Lars put the ad in the paper, the recycler that yep, said I, something like, know you know, well. looking for heavy metal musicians. And it was Hugh Tanner who replied to that ad. And when he showed up, he brought a shy James Hetfield. That's so cool. And then we know the whole story that, that they played and the symbol kept falling over. And Yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't like the best jam ever. And this is like the timeline stuff that I didn't really know. So they, they burned that down, that meeting, which is the little nugget that became Metallica. But after yeah. that was when Lars went on his like European pilgrimage and followed around. He stayed, uh, he stayed like on Diamond Head's couch and shit. Yeah. That's so, he'd, he'd been writing to Linda Harris, who is Sean Harris's mother, who managed Diamond Head. And he just said he just showed up at a venue on a Diamond <laughs> Head tour and said, hey, it's me, Lars, the kid from the States. Yeah. And ended up just crashing on their couch for weeks. I mean, he he was like he was like a, a fanboy. He just followed around, contacted whoever he could. And back then, it had to be insanely hard. I mean, you're just like calling someone's house number or their work number or something. trying or to just, get any Or literally just showing up at their house. He yeah. did the same thing with uh, while he was over there. He followed around Motorhead, just went to their rehearsal space, knocked on the door. And he. it's just amazing that he, even at that age, 
had some sort of charisma or drive or something kind of off, but not in a bad way about him to where these people were like, yeah, come on in. I mean, he talks about walking into Motorhead's rehearsal hall. They wrote Iron Fist right in front of him. (laughs) That's so cool. And, you know, I mean, you and I are in bands. If someone's kind of glomming around like that, you're kind of like, hey, can we get this guy out of you? You know, like. Yeah. Well, I mean, he he does have that charm about him. I mean, he he seems like the kind of guy that could, you know, that he could talk anybody into doing anything for him, you know. Um, and in this case, he was just getting like a, a first class education on metal music. Um, and he was persistent enough where the, where these, and, and obviously not annoying enough where people didn't get rid of them. They're like, yeah, sure. Hang out. Watch us write Iron Fist. Um, you know, and, and actually just becoming friends with these people. Well, he must've had, yeah, he must've just had a really good balance of like eagerness and like avidness, but also knew when to shut up and be cool and listen and learn, which is really rare in someone that age. You know, I don't know if I could have been, because he talks about how it's like, you gotta understand when I'm hanging out with Sean Harris, when Sean Harris is picking me up from the bus station and Lemmy's sitting there next to me writing Iron Fist, it was like being with Led Zeppelin, you know? Yeah, totally. That's how big they were to him. Like, he talks about when he went over there to see Diamond Head, he was so shocked that only 300 people went to the show. He couldn't believe it because they were like the biggest band to him, you know? Oh, yeah. I've, I've, been, to, I've been to those kind of shows where I me too. fall in love with a band and I get to the show and there's 50 people there. There's a, there's a dude who I'm now friends with just through my various travels who I, I got to become friends with, luckily. Uh, he's a singer songwriter artist rock guy named Blue. That's his like moniker. He lives oh, okay. out in LA. And years before I met him, years before I was making music professionally, I was a huge fan of his 2003 record called Redhead. And he was playing the Nick in Birmingham, which is this little seedy, shitty 300 cap club. And I got a fake ID just to go. Let's see, did I get a fake ID in 2003? Yeah, I was 19. Got a fake ID not to do drugs or drink, just to go see this show. Yeah, I go in there. There's maybe six people there, oh, and five of them are playing pool. <laughs> like, and he came <laughs> out with this band and played like they were playing Madison Square Garden. I love when bands do that, where they they don't show that they're bothered by the lack of attendance. Well, because now we both know that's a bummer. It's a bummer. I've done it so many that, times. That will that will take your soul or whatever ha- is behind our eyes that lights us up and makes us who we are, and it will crush it and grind it down into goddamn smithereens. I still do that when I play solo shows around Nashville. There's usually about ten people there. <laughs> it's hard, you know. It's totally hard, but you know, it's what you love to do. And I mean, you're already there. You're already set up. Why not? You know, give it your fucking all. Yeah, like not. Don't be bummed. Just celebrate because this whole deal is like, well, there, there are seven people here. Let's fucking give them a show. Yeah, exactly. And it, the five people playing pool may not have been paying attention, but this little kid, a hundred years ago, I've never forgotten it, you know? And so, That's awesome, man. Luckily, I've had opportunities to hang out with him and tell him that how much that meant to him. Anyway, all that, all that stuff. But anyway. Yeah, that's good story. Um, pretty good story. So, basically, when you really started, start speaking of this biopic film that I'm now running in my head, thanks to you, <laughs> this little excursion in Europe is kind of where Lar, one of Lars's biggest educations so he, really he basically hangs out with his heroes. Yeah. He comes back during the summer. Brian Slade had put together this Metal Masker thing. And we all know this little legacy. He says, hey, there's a slot for you on this compilation if you can put a band together. Lars calls up James Hetfield and says, hey, we got a slot. All we got to do is write a song. They write Hit the Lights. Uh, <clears throat> what are the various uh, credentials here on who played on it? So it, let's see. Lloyd Grant played the solo. James played bass. Uh, they wrote it at Rama Govney's house. 
And they chose the name Metallica from a magazine that Ron Quintana was putting together. It was either between Metal Militia or Metallica. Lars encouraged him to choose Metal Militia so he could have Metallica. And that's kind of, <laughs> that's the that's the genesis of this band. I know, it's crazy. And, and for those who haven't dove into the uh, 30th anniversary episode or the 30th anniversary footage you can find online... Um, there, Lloyd Grant was there and and played, hit the lights with them, and he's. It's just cool to see him on stage, like when they they pulled out every stop to get every person involved in Metallica, and all the way back to Lloyd Grant on the first demo. Yeah, the the kill 'em all love on those four shows is really strong. Like they end that, oh, yeah. they they end the fourth show with all those tunes with Dave Mustaine. I know it's great, and they get uh, Ron McGovney up there. They get Hugh Tanner up. Hugh Tanner comes and plays Motor Breath. I know that's so cool because I guess Hugh <laughs> co-wrote it with James. So we kind of know a lot of the... So, okay, so they chose their name. Uh, they get Dave Mustaine in the band. He, he ends up responding to the same ad in The Recycler that was yeah, just kind and, of and, perpetually in there. And I think I've mentioned this on, on a previous episode, but The Recycler is like a local paper that I'm, I'm sure still exists in California. Um, you can do everything from sell your car to your boat to a guitar to, you know, musicians for hire, all this stuff basis wanted i mean i've I, I literally i was in a band uh like a little local band we were shitty um but uh anyways we we uh, we put an ad in the recycler when i was like 15 years old and to find like a singer so it's a thing that people do and and it's just cool that this happened back in the early 80s i did it hundreds of thousands of you know musicians have done it in the recycler and i'm gonna go put an ad, i'm gonna go put an ad in the recycler tomorrow that says uh wanted clint wells looking to join metallica <laughs> you should that'd be amazing. we'll literally do anything <laughs> yeah so literally. they do their they do their debut gig in front of 75 people we've we've done a revisited episode on that if you yep. want to hear it we it's basically them doing hit the lights and then a bunch of diamond head covers yeah. um they make their power metal demo with old kenny kane they make their no life to letter demo that ends up finding its way to johnny z who ends up bringing them out to the East Coast, and they make Kill Em All. In between that, they meet Cliff and move to San Francisco. There's all this stuff that we all know. Now, um, and, and to speak on that real quick, uh, in regards to Lars and his and his ability to talk to people, and uh, his, like, almost like his, his business kind of mind, um, mm-hmm. you know that, like, because he tried to get Cliff to join the band initially, and they would have, and if he would, they would have remained an L.A. band. But Cliff, maybe he was one of the first people to like negotiate with Lars. Like, okay, like I see where you're coming from. Like, I'll make you a deal. How about I'll join your band, but you guys move here, you know, and and come on up, and I'll show you the the thriving thrash metal scene that's happening up here. Um, I'd just be curious to, if I ever got to interview Lars. Like, what was that like? In in it's because he's such a businessman now, you know. Um, I'd be curious to know what that was like, like trying to convince someone like Cliff Burton, who was so hell-meant on staying in the Bay Area, like they're, they're back and forth with that kind of deal. I think it, yeah, I don't know. My speculation would be it's, it's, it's a mixture of all these things. It's a mixture of sort of young stupidity, just relentless energy for that. Yeah. Because he says he called him almost every day. Because <laughs> at the time, Cliff was in trauma and pretty excited about what was going on with trauma. Like, yeah. I've been in bands before where I thought what was happening was pretty dope. And to have someone want to take you away from it, especially when they haven't really done much, it's interesting. It does it does say a lot about Lars's sort of keen ability to persuade people to want to get on board with whatever he's doing. Definitely, for sure. Um, 
so I guess we can start talking about more about like sort of technique and what Lars is known for. His his legacy at the time really did have a lot to do with the sort of the metal militia fight fire with fire battery damaging the really fast what I yeah will officially not refer to as blast beat. <laughs> Please don't. Uh, is it a blast beat and blackened? Because um, no. there's a tuning room video of them playing blackened, and James goes, "Wait, which one's blackened?" and uh, and Lars goes, the gallopy one. And James the goes, they're all gallopy. <laughs> but then someone yeah, I mean, says, but then either Kirk says or Lars says it's the one with the blast beat. Now they said yeah, that. Now I know. And now some people, now some, some people out there, some drummers might call those fast thrash beats, blast beats, but technically it, it's, um, imagine that beat twice as fast where the, instead of, uh, I'll kind of slow it down. Instead of the, the, the drums going, you would go and the kick drum would be doing twice as fast with the snares doing that's more of a blast beat um maybe i'll insert a little example we did some blast beat stuff on demon hunter records Okay, so that, what you heard right there, is what I like to consider a blast beat. Some people might consider something else, but that was a clip from a Demon Hunter song that features me. Not Very on cool. drums, I was on guitar. <laughs> uh, we definitely have some fans that, that know of Demon Hunter, which is very cool. If you've not heard of that, Ethan was in this really cool metal band called Demon Hunter that, that I'm even a fan of, even though uh, even though I don't understand some of the lyrics. But yeah, Demon Hunter is great. A, yeah, I was on two, two records, if you guys are interested. And you even played a pedal steel on a Demon Hunter record, right? I did. I did lap steel on one song. Yeah, there's a song on the record called "Storm That Gets to Hell," and uh, I had my lap steel in Seattle while we were recording because I was going to record with Mike from MXPX on his country project. And uh, yeah, we just ended up. Hey, why don't we put that on the song? Okay, cool. So you can take Ethan out of Nashville, but you cannot take the Nashville out of Ethan Luck. Exactly. He's going to bring that lap steel to your metal project. <laughs> uh, so. We talked a little bit about uh, we we had someone write in and say that <clears throat> it's no it's no um, it's no mystery that in the '90s a band called Alice in Chains was fucking massive, yep. and that they were friends with Metallica. They toured with Metallica. Uh, I think Alice opened on the Black Album, famously on Metal on uh, Alice in Chains's Unplugged record. Metallica shows up as fans and. Mikey Nez wrote the thing about cutting his hair on his base and blah, blah, blah. Friends don't let, let friends give friends haircuts, something yeah. like that. And you can read in a lot of the press, which I mentioned in the last episode. I can't mention it more. I can't wait to let you borrow this book, Ethan. But this book called So What, which is the compilation of yeah. the, the fan magazine So What. All the interviews from that era, uh, Jason in particular and Lars talk a lot about the Alice in Chains record Dirt. It's such a good record. Be, being a record that they really loved. And it's a lot of people consider that their masterpiece. Uh my favorite Alice record I is would. the self-titled, the one after Dirt. Oh, with the three-legged dog on it? Three-legged dog, yeah. Um, yeah. Which some people refer to as tripod for that reason. But uh, Alice in Chains' influence is all over them. I don't think they sounded like Alice, but their influence is there. We talked about it on the Load episode about some of the harmonies around the Load era. But yeah, the story, definitely. Lars does mention the story, though, about Sean Kinney. He's hanging out with Sean Kinney, who's one of my favorite rock drummers. Oh, he's great. Uh, and he sits down at Sean's kit, and Sean's kit was was pretty chill 
compared to Larson. Yeah, he was normally he normally had like kick snare rack tom two floor toms. Yep. You know, probably hi hat two or three crashes ride someone a china or something like well, nothing like Lars had on the black album and prior records. And he talks about how like you know Sean Kinney, who's no joke, a very powerful hard rock, alternative metal, whatever you wanted to call them, drummer, was able to do it with less. So that's where he sort of yeah. got inspired for that. And dude, I love the whole less is more shit with Metallica. I really do. I think it suited them really well. I think, I mean, I think it suits him really well. Even, even on Hardwired, I think there, I think even yeah. some of the fast stuff, he play, he, it's simple what he's doing. He's not trying to throw anything fancy in there. And it makes, it, it makes for a better song in my opinion. And it's to your point about uh, hardware being sort of an amalgamation of Black Album and Load, Reload, a little bit of thrash, because Death Magnetic is definitely all thrash, and it's it was more return to form, uh, non not blast beat stuff, <laughs> whatever you speed metal drumming, uh, and Hardwired is definitely a little more groove oriented. I like his choices a little more on Hardwired, yeah. and I definitely like the the uh, production value of the drums more. So. In between 98 and 2002, now I mentioned this because uh, it's pertinent, uh, Lars started a record label called The Music Company, and my friend Johnny Gowdy was actually signed to Lars's label. Really? And Interesting. My friend Johnny Gowdy has a podcast called, uh, oh, how, how did how did you get here? How did you get there? Oh my God, okay. I'm so sorry, Johnny, that I'm not remembering this. I was a guest <laughs> on it uh, a couple years ago. I'm actually looking it up right now because I... Johnny Gowdy podcast. He, he, the reason I bring it up is because of the episode. It's called, uh, oh my God, dude. It's called, How Did I Get Here? Sorry. Okay. How Did I Get okay. Here? How Did just, I Get Here? Just Google it. He's a musician in Austin. I met Johnny because I often work with a uh, Austin based uh, artist named Bob Schneider. And so I met Johnny Gowdy. I went on his podcast. Throughout our episode, we sort of land on obviously the fact that I'm a huge Metallica fan and he tells me the story about being signed to Lars's label and how he he actually went and recorded with Lars and Bob Rock for his debut record. Really? And Lars so like played Bob, drums so he, on it. He played drums on the whole record? No, just they demoed like three songs and his his story about that is really fascinating and really funny. Really? So the label didn't last long, obviously. Uh, it folded in 2002. But go check out How Did I Get Here? Johnny Gowdy. It's the episode I did with him. Just look at Clint Wells, How Did I Get Here? His story about working with Lars is really funny. And Johnny does eventually want to be on the show. and We should have him. Yeah, I would love to have him on the show. I'd love to talk to him more about that, that experience. His podcast is excellent. He's got like over 600 episodes. It's, where, it's wow. called How Did I Get Here? Where he interviews just artists, musicians, and it's just their story of how they got to whatever they're doing. Dude, that's great. That's so, that's very, that's so awesome. Did you know that Lars has been in a couple of movies? Uh, yes, I did know that. He was in uh, Get Him to the Greek and then this Hemingway and Gilhorn movie on HBO. I didn't see that. I remember Get Him to the Greek. He's pretty good in it. He's pretty funny. Yeah. He kind of plays himself and the chick which he's, he's with which he's is good at. Aldous, Aldous Huxley's ex-husband or something, but she's sleeping with Lars Ulrich. <laughs> That's right. Is that the drummer from Metallica? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lars Ulrich. Lars Ulrich. Now, let's talk about this Napster thing briefly, because we're going to do a whole episode on it, but let's just let's just touch base on this. So, well, so yeah, Lars, we'll, we'll skim the water a little bit. So Lars kind of became... Now, it wasn't just Lars. I, if you've read into this, the entire band of Metallica agreed with uh, the criticism of Napster, and Lars sort of became the, the mouthpiece for it. 
Yeah, he was definitely the spokesperson, not only for just Metallica, but for a lot of other artists that were on his side. Absolutely. And so he sued Napster uh, and went after fans and had about 300,000 fans banned from using Napster and was kind of villainized in the music community. There's like footage of fans, like in my estimation, just ignorantly, stupidly burning, have no idea what was going on. Yeah, a little steamroller action on the CDs. Yeah, like, I guess they thought that Lars was suing fans to try to get their money. Like, I, I, there's a lot of misinformation about what happened. Yeah, and especially back then when, I mean, the internet was still fairly new. And, you know, we didn't have social media like we have now. And, and even the amount of information that we can get uh, nowadays. Um, it, was, it was definitely misconstrued, I believe, to an extent because... I mean, he wasn't trying to like punish fans, like right. punish Metallica fans. It was like, hey, listen, like I see where this is going. At right. least let Metallica decide how it's going to happen with our music. Well, it's, you know, Kiss has taken a hard stance on it too. And people give Paul Stanley shit about it too. Because the assumption is, well, because you're successful and wealthy, we should just be able to take from you. And th- they're fighting back that it's a fallacious, ridiculous idea that yeah. just because someone has money, you should steal from them. It's insane. It's very insane. And I, and, and I do, you know, I, I tend to side uh, more on Lars' Lars's side with this in, in regards to back do. then. Um, I also, you know, I think I've mentioned that interview um, uh, with Lars Ulrich and Chuck D from Public Enemy, mm-hmm. where they're kind of both, they're talking on both sides of, of the, of the uh, subject there. And it's really interesting to hear both of their uh, takes on it. Um, but I, you know, at the end of the day, I think, you know, if you're a band, whether you are poor or super rich, it should be up to you what happens with your music, how fans can get your music. And well, and like here's that. the deal, dudes. This is just the straight shine. Ethan and I work in the music industry. The MP3 revolution, which turned into streaming, has definitely wounded the industry. Now, I mean, I think more than wounded it. I mean, it's almost destroyed it. Now, whether that's good or bad, I mean, I think it's actually amoral. So, it, it, it's not good or bad. It's just the state of things. Okay, it's right. just, you cannot fuck with technology. I mean, part of me kind of thinks if every artist just decided to quit giving all their shit away, we might be able to save it. But that's never going to happen. Yeah. So we're having to find. So we're in between models. It's 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 just technology. It's the way forward. It's cool. But it definitely changed everything. And for me and Ethan to make a living doing what we're doing is way way harder because people don't pay for recorded music anymore it's very, yeah it's very true and i, I mean <clears throat> now me as a as a, a writer and a solo artist i don't make hardly any money on my stuff but even as a guitar tech being on the road working for a band like kings of leon i mean that affects people like no, it me. all tri- that, it all trickles down it all trickles down because whatever that man's making they have to pay employees and crew guys and managers and whoever else and you know, I mean, sometimes you might go see a band that used to be a lot bigger, and maybe they're still really popular, but they're playing smaller venues. Their their production is smaller and stuff is because they you can't afford it like these. Yeah, two. they can't. They, it definitely affects people like Ethan as well as songwriters because he's exactly right. Their if the, what the, their budget for their touring or for their existence as a band just got eaten almost in half. Okay, yeah. and if you guys think that paying ten bucks a month to hear every song ever recorded, if you think that in any way makes sense for a songwriter, you're just flat out fucking wrong. It doesn't. <laughs> yeah. I have friends with and if tens... You think that's ex- and if you think that's expensive, you're fucking crazy. <laughs> I have friends with tens of millions of Spotify playlists who are literally starving to death. 
So if that shit wasn't available to just rip that way, if that if those 10 million people really did want to hear that song, they would have paid for it and my friends wouldn't be starving or having to right. paint houses or work in a library. Now, yeah. there's nothing wrong with working in a library or painting houses, but the point is if you're a fucking artist, what you need to be doing is making art. Yeah. And so I'm already getting hot about this. I don't want to take up too much time. <laughs> no, well, 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 that that'll, that might be our uh, our Napster episode might turn into an anger management episode too. Well, but Lars is our hero because I will say he came in hot on it. But like you said earlier, it was a new issue. Everyone was really scared. No one kind of knew what would happen. But yeah. he was able to foresee that this is not good news. And he was right. And they weren't necessarily fighting on behalf of their own money. They were fighting on behalf of bands that didn't have the, the money, the legal team, the power to yeah, try to that, stop this, exactly. this threat. And that's and, and I commend him for that. I mean, they were, I they, were there were plenty of bands that they couldn't even imagine putting up a bunch of money to hire a lawyer and, and, and take this on the well, way Napster he could, did. Yeah, Napster could have squashed him, but Napster could not squash Metallica. No. And they 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 put their neck on the line, and I think did everyone a service. They didn't change the tide, but they at least stood up. Yeah, and I yeah, think I, I think I, history I is gonna. I think history is gonna look back on that favorably for them. Yeah, I think so too. All right, thanks for everyone listening to my rant. I'm sorry, I'm just <laughs> pissed off about that. Go buy our music. Um, let's see. Now let's talk about Lars being criticized as a drummer. So. I've done, as a, I, I, as a drummer, I will admit, what, I, I, I have done it, and I still do it, not, not in a hateful way. Right. Um, it, you know, I, I, I think I've talked about this before, but I recognize recognizes Lara's abilities and inabilities. And so sometimes when he tries to do things, let's say in a live setting, that in the studio is easy to do because you can re- keep re-recording it until you get it down just perfect. Um, you know, I think there's certain parts on records where I'm like, ah, oh, I wish he wouldn't have done that on the crash symbol. It makes it, it gives it less groove or whatever. Right. And um, we've talked about the, the, the China as a ride and of course, yeah. Little things like that, you know, but, um, you know, we've said it before with, with no Lars, no Metallica, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I think that, you know, I think that maybe, uh, his inabilities have, if in turn created insanely memorable and, and, timeless parts for the band 100 percent agree i think there's no doubt about that there i really think if, if you had a, if you had a guy like dave lombardo behind the kid a guy that t- that talented um or the guy from dream theater for instance um you know you might still get really cool metallica songs but it would just be i don't know i, I i've grown to love his imperfections i do too i i have really turned the corner on lars i've mentioned it in previous episodes but in terms of his passion for the band i think it's unparalleled and i think it is underrated even uh i don't don't think you'll ever see him not giving a shit about metallica and that even his more cringy moments i think come from that energy and so i forgive him and love him for it in terms of his drumming of course there's i mean my favorite band in the whole world is the beatles so that's a band that definitely had a a limited drummer but if you slag ringo then I, i don't even know what to say to you because the shorthand ignorant idea that he wasn't good that just anyone could have done that is crazy. Right. I think so too. And I, I I would say the same thing about Lars. I don't think, you know, there's parts, you know, think about that cool uh, drum part on the song Injustice for all. Like that kind of thing. Sure. It's a fairly simple part to play if you're a drummer, but I doubt that Dave Lombardo or Charlie Benante guys like that would have maybe come up with that part. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's it's true in all music. Your limitations force you to be creative. 
Yep, exactly. And I wanted to read this quote from Lars. I mean, I just think Lars is likable. I just really, before I knew a lot about him, I sort of bought into the his kind of kind of ridiculous personality. But yeah. the more the more deep I get, the more I find him really likable. I just watched that. Um, there's a brief documentary. It's like 45 minutes long, called "A Week in the Life of Metallica," and it's just them going to Europe in the middle of the load sessions to do a week of shows. Yeah. And he's pretty fucking funny in there. Anyway, so he has this to say about his criticism. He takes it head on. He said this in 2012. He says, The criticism used to bother me. Back in the day, I spent a lot of time overcompensating for that on earlier records. But it hasn't bothered me for about 15 years. I'm no Joey Jordanson or Mike Portnoy. That's from Slipknot and uh, former drummer of Slipknot and former drummer of Dream Theater. He says, and I have nothing but love and respect and admiration for all those guys. I'm not a particularly accomplished drummer, but I am very, very good at understanding the role of the drums next to James Hetfield's rhythm guitar. Amen. I I guarantee you I'm the best guy in the world for that, and that's enough for me. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) I totally agree with that. Um, I love that he says, I'm very, very good at understanding the role of the drums next to James Hetfield's guitar. I don't think anybody else could do that. I 100% agree. And I think a lot of that has to do with their longevity as friends and literally like starting a band together when they both didn't have bands. And well, that's they were the like only tr- way it's the only way they know how to play music is with each yeah, other. They, really. Yeah. They, they learn how to play together. They learn how to write songs together. They learned how to arrange together. Right. Um, this, I mean, it's a brotherhood 100%. I mean, I think if Lars were to ever be out of Metallica and you put someone in there, I think at that point, I don't think I'd want them to make a new Metallica record. No, I, I mean, no Lars, no Metallica for me. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Dave Lombardo said the same exact thing. He, he actually defended, Dave, which Dave Lombardo is Slayer's drummer. He says, Porn. without Lars, there is no Metallica. He just put it simply. Yeah, and yeah, we, we've said that numerous times on the show. Uh, Mike Portnoy also defends Lars. I want to read what Mike Portnoy says, because it, he sums up a lot of things we're saying, too. He says, I would rather watch somebody like Lars on stage than one of these drummers who can do quadruple paradiddles at 240 BPM. Now, will you break down, please, what he means by quadruple paradiddles? <laughs> for those who well, don't know a, a paradiddle is a uh, is a rudiment exercise like if you're wanting to warm up things like that or just just to get technique down and um <clears throat> and to you know accuracy and things like that consistency um a paradiddle is essentially you're using obviously your right and left hand and you kind of say the word paradiddle paradiddle so, paradiddle yeah so you're um i'm gonna tap on on my hotel desk here so maybe you can hear hear this um so you're like a paradiddle. You would do. Uh, you st- I would start with my right hand and go pair, uh, and then diddle would be two on the right hand. Diddle. So para diddle, and then so you do that. So para diddle para. You know, you just you can go faster and faster and faster. And you, and the way it works when you do that diddle on your right hand is the next time through you're gonna do it on your left hand. So right. it strengthens both hands. Anyways, 200, 240 BPMs per minute. Um, it's insane. Beats per minute, not BPMs per minute. <laughs> um, beats per minute per minute. Um, yeah, 240 beats per minute is is pretty dang fast. Um, right. So I hope that helps well, a little bit. Well, he says, and he says, to me, that's boring. Who cares? I'd rather be entertained and go to a show and watch a drummer and have somebody that makes me actually smile. So I don't judge drummers based on their technical ability. I judge them based on overall package and what they bring to the music they're a part of. What yep. Lars brings to Metallica is absolutely invaluable. I couldn't care less if his meter is slightly up or down. Or if his fills are sloppy, I don't care about that. 
to me, there's way more to being a good drummer than precision or technique. And that's Mike Portnoy, who is one of the best drummers on planet Earth. He really is. Hitting it out of the park (laughs) on what's actually important about music. Yeah, exactly. I've got a lot of friends that'll dog Lars or if they see a live performance on whatever, it's the Grammys or MTV Awards, whatever. And they'll immediately text me because I know I'm a huge fan. They're like, fucking Lars, what an asshole, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I just want to like copy and paste this and just text it to him. Yeah, well, because you know what, like that's that, that's the thing. Like, yeah, it's fun to go see like a, a Joey Jordanson, like just just rip and play a million beats per minute. But I also love you know when you see Phil Rudd just playing boom, got boom, got in ACDC. Right. Um, well, it just depends on what you're doing and what you're bringing to the table. I mean, Mike Portnoy and Dream Theater. Dream Theater is a proggy, insanely technical prowess band that you kind of want to see all that. Exactly. Now, the trade-off for me, which no offense to our friend Thelmos, is who's got the songs, man? Who's got, who is the biggest metal band in the world? It's Metallica. Why is that? Yeah. Because their fucking songs are the best songs ever written by a metal band. Yeah, it's because James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich. Yeah, I mean, the competition only, in my opinion, is Black yeah. Sabbath and Iron Maiden. And Metallica is better than both of those bands. I'm sorry to those of you who disagree, but the songs just aren't there the way they are throughout Metallica's entire career yeah. that they are for those bands. And if you're not not as concerned with songwriting, if you want to hear ripping, then by all means, please listen to Dream Theater. Those yeah, guys rip. Sure. But um, Clint and I, being songwriters and players and playing multiple instruments, we like the, you know, kind of like Mike Portnoy said, we like the whole package. We like everything yeah. that they bring to the table to complement the rest of the That's instruments true. in the band. Um, and you guys yeah. have, heard, and the good, you know, we've been fair and honest about this. You guys have heard us talk about Kirk and what we think, you know, Kirk does well and what he maybe doesn't. We've talked about Lars's China and Lars's strange hits on two. And yeah, we could really do that. But pound for pound, it's the sound of Metallica and they're the best. It really is. And I, I've actually noticed recently, like speaking of that, the, the crash symbol on two, I think everyone hopefully knows what that is. You know, you're coming in and you go on beat on, two boom, instead boom, of beat tsh- four. Exactly. Um, I've actually been enjoying it more, like especially like when we when we dove into the load record. Yep, I listened to it so much, and it's and great on those records. I almost feel like it's 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 becoming like his signature sound in a way. It's it's one of his like signature licks. You That's know? why I, you just nailed it. That's why I love it. It's because when I hear that kind of drumming, I know who it is. Yep. Now, Mike Portnoy or this or the Slipknot guy or Dave Lombard, these like you know Terry Bazio and the Wackermans. If you were to play me a song, I might not be able to tell you who that was playing drums, you know? Like, there's a sort of um, blandness. But if you play any song with Lars Ulrich playing drums, I'll be able to tell you, oh, that's Lars Ulrich, for sure. Yeah, that's Lars, for sure. It's just... And that's... What else can you aspire to as a musician than to have carved out something that is so you? Exactly. I mean, mean, there's... Even guitar players out there that are insanely talented that if you play me something... I mean, if you played me like something John Mayer did, I wouldn't know it was him. Sure. I mean, I think he's an incredible musician, um, but that's just the thing. And, you know, you could say the same thing for James's rhythm guitar, but I mean, Lars, you just know it's him. Yeah, I agree. And th- and like and like you said, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's something not only to aspire to as a musician, but if you can achieve that, I mean, that to me is a huge success. Well, and let's just face it, you know, like Lars Ulrich will go down as one of the most famous drummers of all time. Yeah. Like, who who, who else would, like, a Ringo Starr, okay. John John Bonham. John Bonham, for sure. 
I would put Dave Grohl in there. You think Dave Grohl? I I, I think it, it, as as time like goes he, on, yeah, yes. Like like he's probably the most contemporary. We would say, right? I'd say yeah, I'd say he's the most contemporary. But I mean, if you if you look at you know everything but he Neil, did with Ner- Neil Pert, Neil Pert would be up there. Yeah, you know. I mean, I'm I'm kind of thinking more about in the rock metal pool. world. We're talking about a small pool. Yeah. Like it, it, Sorry, my, like my much kiddo as, just came in. No, you're fine. Come here. Is this is this going to be her debut on the podcast? Do you want to say hi? Uh, say hi. Okay, that's her not wanting to say hi. <laughs> she's like, I'm not a Lars fan, Dad. She, you know she, that. She's like, <laughs> I'm a Dream Theater fan. <laughs> Can we please talk about John Petrucci? <laughs> um, um, and, sorry, I, anyways, you were making a point. Uh, no, I, I I'm kind of I kind of blanked on it, but it, it, all, all I think all this to say, I mean, yeah, I mean, technique aside, skill aside, uh, you know, Lars and James are the like perfect math equation, um, and he he will go down in history as one of the most well known great metal drummers out there. Yeah, for sure. And and and, 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 and to not not I mean, you, you can't go without mentioning like how diverse he's become over the years too. You know. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, he's a music lover. He listens to a lot of different kinds of music. Man, I like that the Load and Reload stuff was influenced by a contemporary band yeah. like Alice in Chains. Or Corrosions of Conformity, which I know James is a huge fan. Yeah. You know, I like that they keep listening and digging into music. I like that I like yeah. the idea of them collaborating with Lou Reed, even though that 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 one didn't quite come out of the come out as good as I'd <laughs> yeah, hoped. Come exactly. out quite as fresh as I'd hoped. Hey, but you know, but you know what? They tried it. Well, they're artists, they're explorers, and that's what we love exactly. about them. And and even on on Lars's new radio show, I mean, it's called it's know, electric, one, right? It's electric, yeah. I think it's on uh, Beats One. It's called. I wish it was on like just the podcast app because I don't have Beats One or whatever that is. I don't, I don't have I don't, it either. But um, you know, I mean, it's like one of the episodes he had. You know, <clears throat> a fellow you know Bay Area musician on there. He had he had another Lars Lars Friedrichsen from Rancid on there. It's like. That's just cool that he's doing stuff like that. You know, his whole deal on that show, from what I've heard, I haven't even listened to it yet. I need to figure out how to, um, is just to di- dive into music that people may not know, like whether it's local bands or bigger bands of a different genre. And it's, he, I mean, he's 53 years old, still still getting excited about new music. Yeah, and it comes through. I mean, I think that excitement is palpable on Hardwired, and it's yeah. definitely palpable when you see him live. Yeah, definitely, man. And what else can we ask from our favorite band? That they that they're still giving a shit. They're still doing good work. Exactly. Um, this is our love letter to Lars Ulrich for sure. My days, Tayama Lars Tayama. My days of slagging Lars are over, man. And if anyone wants to slag Lars in my company and have a real conversation about it, uh, they're not gonna they're not gonna like it. It's not gonna go well for them. Yeah. And not just to like you know I mean I, I've poked fun at like when you know when he's when he's played the the triplet double kick drum part to one right before they all come in i've joked that it sounds like you know a pair of tennis shoes yeah, in a dryer it's, it's sloppy joe that's okay it's, it's sloppy joe and that's fine because you, you know what if you look at his face he's fucking giving it everything he has <laughs> well and here's the deal too is like i mean we got to just go ahead and say like well he wrote the part and he performed it on the record he's fucking earned it <laughs> you know it's like yeah he man. created it out of nothing so yep. the did. criticism really can only extend so far because that motherfucker is the author of the thing yep. we're criticizing Exactly, and that's his. That's his deal, man. That's what we love about him. Yeah. We love him. Who doesn't love him? M- m- plenty of people. <laughs> I guess if you feel that way, maybe write into the show and let us know what you think about that. Yeah, please do. We would love to hear your take on. And it. you know, we've got some listeners who don't agree with us on this Napster thing. So I, I want to hear from them too. Uh, 
you know, write us in, let us know what's up. Yeah, please do. And thanks to Lars for being Lars. Thank you. You know what, Lars? I'm going to take a minute and thank you for being you. Now, we're going to end the episode with a little trivia thing that I cooked up. It's called True or False. Now, I'm going to read some facts. Maybe they're not facts about Lars Ulrich. And Ethan has to tell me if they are true or false. Are you ready for the first statement? I don't know if I'm ready, but I'm I'm, I'm just going to... Yeah, this is just, let's go on the deep end right now. All right, true or false? Lars Ulrich eats pizza without cheese after every Metallica show. <clears throat> um, I'm going to say true. You are correct. That is true. Apparently, after every Metallica show, Lars eats pizza without cheese. I wonder. I wonder if he's gone vegan. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll ask him next time we talk to him tomorrow. Yeah, next time we talk to him. Okay. Uh, next question: True or false? Lars has a personal assistant who does everything for him, including puts on his wristwatch and turns on his computer. I am going to say true. You are correct. That is also insanely true. <laughs> well, I got to say, there's also um, uh, uh, one of the guys I tour with out here uh, used to be friends with maybe not his current assistant, but an assistant of Lars at one point has told me some really funny stories. So more ridiculous than what you just told me. Okay. All right. Uh, you're doing good. You're two for two on this. And how many, how many are we doing? Six. Okay. Number three, Lars Ulrich is an avid and passionate scuba diver. Um, uh, my gut goes with true. You are correct. That is also motherfucking true. Only because I think, I think we discussed that a bit on the A Year and a Half in the Life of Metallica Part 2 episode. Right, because that's right. When one of his breaks, he, you know, he went and studied scuba diving. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I'm, all right. I'm doing good so far. Okay, <clears throat> next question. Lars Ulrich has a 24-7 bodyguard that he travels with at all times. That has to be true. That is false. He, uh, he only 12 hours a day? He quit traveling with a bodyguard because it attracted too much attention. I mean, surely surely he's got a bodyguard on the, when they're on tour. Well, the question was 24-7, and you said it was true. Okay, Which makes well. you wrong i, I th- listen I, 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 having worked for a big band i mean b- bands travel with security just for their safety and things like that yeah, so i'm sure I, i'm sure when I they understand. hit the road there's security but maybe when he's home and with his family he doesn't I yeah i understand you're wrong but i understand okay next <laughs> <laughs> next question lars Ulrich practices drumming a minimum of three hours a day false that is false. He says he never practices his drumming. I think tuning room is all we get on the old yeah, practice. And and I'm you know, I'm sure for the Lars haters out there and and shows that we've seen where he plays a, l- a bit sloppily. Uh I've always kind of in the back of my mind wished he would practice more because I think if he did, I think he, maybe those things would not be so sloppy sometimes. Yeah, I agree. I think that's fair and true. Now, last one. All right. Lars Ulrich has harshly criticized you two in the press. True. That is false. He is a massive U2 fan. Shit. He's a huge U2 fan. I feel like he, I feel like he, I I knew that. And, uh, I was just sitting there going, why did he pick U2? I I thought maybe you put that through that in there because I was in Dublin. (laughs) 
<laughs> nope. That is just a happy, serendipitous coincidence of the Metal Every Podcast family. Oh, man. I was really hoping to get five out of six. You got four. Pretty That's good. That's not bad. I think, uh, I think this should be a regular thing we should switch off the next time I get to ask you questions. All right. Sounds good. I'll, I'll create a black metal jingle for that as well. Perfect. <laughs> so those of you who uh, have been listening, you know what to do. Go leave us that review on iTunes. We'll send you some free shit. It's real easy. Show at gmail.com is the best way to reach us. If you want to support the show and come to our upcoming quarterly Facebook Live Hangouts, you can go to patreon.com slash Podcast. Is there anything else? Am I missing anything? Uh, I think that's it. All I think right. we covered it all. We went all we went through Lars, and again, please send us an email if you got some more thoughts on Lars Ulrich. Love her, love him or hate him, and um, yeah, I think this was a really fun episode. I love kind of breaking down the the history and the lives of these guys. I do too. We're looking forward to interacting with you guys all week, and until next time, peace, adios. <laughs>